Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another special edition of Fandom Talk, and an even specialer edition. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where I was going with that part. That, that kind of lost it. But a good edition. Let's go with that. A very good edition of the Star Wars EU or EU review. Um, today, of course, as always, I am joined by the exceptional, verbose, Red Lanyard, Al Manually. Al, you doing all right tonight, man? Yes, that's me. I'm very verbose, and I'm doing um, pretty well. How about you, Jacob? <laughs> that's why we have, that's why we had the podcast in the first place, right? <laughs> I'm I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> yeah, we we used to do this just randomly at Diddy's, and then all of a sudden we were like, you know what? Let's try it. Let's try it this way. <laughs> and to this day, we still record live at a Denny's. <laughs> oh, I'll take that. Moon's over my hammy, ma'am. I Thank wish you. we did. Oh my gosh. Man, we okay. We want to do a special, a special edition episode. <laughs> Two nerds in the diner. The, let's, let's go with that. There you go. Anyways, uh, you also know me. I am Jacob Vance Harsty, the EIC of the group here for the Phantom Correspondence, and we hope that you're all having a wonderful, wonderful day. You hope that the month of February has been good to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you're also at a Denny's right now. Yes, we, we do. It, if you're listening to this at a Denny's, I, we don't have any special prize for you, but I'm happy that that's happening. Um, <laughs> I hope you enjoy your meal, you weird asocial freak, and I appreciate you listening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. We Tonight we are talking about Andor, the Disney Plus series. This is, this is interesting because this is actually the first... This is the first show that we've done on EU or U, isn't it? Um, we c- covered the um, S- Siege of Pandalore arc from the Clone Wars show, but that, yes, and other the, than that, yeah, this the, is the first Clone Wars live so, action we've done. This is the first live. There we go. This is yeah. the first live action uh, that we've that we've done. Um, but yeah, this. Um, so for those of you who are unaware of what the show is um it is following the it's following a really rough like eight months in the life of a man named cassian andor uh, <laughs> he's he he kind of goes through it um mm-hmm. it's been the best of times and and then there's these eight months <laughs> and then there's these eight months yeah um it could actually be longer i um because the prison sequence kind of throws that out of that kind of throws that out of whack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm glad you brought this up because when I watched this the first time, I had the feeling that this took place over the course of like a year. And okay. then when I rewatched this with my friend, um, with my friend Josh Moore, shout out to Josh. I'm rewatching all of the Star Wars stuff with him. It's been a blast. Um, we love Josh. Uh, when oh gosh, we love Josh. He's so good. Uh, when I watched it with him for my second time through, um, I couldn't shake on the feeling that I had like way overestimated how long it takes place over. <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it feels like it could take place over about a year, but it also like feels like if you ignore like how long he's in jail, it feels like it could take over the course of like three weeks. 
It's mm. real. <laughs> it's kind of. It's kind of odd. It. I know it's. I know it's like a. I know it's like a week and a half for the first six episodes. Mm-hmm. I know that's. I know that's like. A, I know that's a thing. Um, and then. Maybe two or three months happen in the prison. I think. Right. Because there's a point where he, where there's a point where they, where they show the numbers kind of going down. But, if, but of course, the entire point of the prison sequence is it doesn't matter how much time has been going on in there. Whoa, we're leading right into it. <laughs> um, but, um, and then from when he gets out of the prison, I'd say it's maybe three days or no, two days, because they talk about, um, they talk about how it's a uh, Ferrix process to being turned into the brick and everything else right um okay so, so i just hooked it up just, just so oh. we can be all official and accurate sweet um, okay yeah fa- fact checking boy uh, he's back <laughs> he's back he's, he's checking facts um so cassie andor um and eagle-eyed viewer of the show <laughs> um caught that um uh, casting andor um, breaks out of prison on the thirty-fourth day of his incarceration, so just over a oh, month. Just over a month. Okay. Yeah. So, so the life of Cassian Andor and a really rough like two like month and a half, <laughs> basically. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um. Yeah. It's it's interesting it, it's the the timeline itself is also interesting because of course uh, i mean of course we'll talk about season two here in a second that's we'll 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 get to that later um so you you mentioned this was your second time watching this al um or here recently with with josh uh once again shout out to josh Moore. if, if you listen to this episode josh you're the best and i love you and i want to i hope to see you soon um <laughs> um how did you how did you feel the first time you watched this and how did how did you feel this time? Did you have like did you have kind of a different uh a different viewpoint on the show, knowing where the series was going to end up at the end, or did you kind of love it just as much the second time as you did the first time, or maybe even dislike it as much the second time as you did the first time? What 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 were your thoughts on what were your thoughts on the show? Oh, oh, oh I hate this show now. No. Um it's <laughs> It's definitely one of those things as somebody who does enjoy like rewatching stuff and like adding some time pass in between viewings and stuff like that. Uh, this is definitely a show that I think really um, benefits from rewatching it because when um, I watched it the first time I was watching it like every week as it was c- coming out, which um, um, God, I don't care what anyone says. That is a t- torturous way to watch a show um and so i was watching it week by week and so um i think a lot of things improve by being able to re-watch it and re-experience it and i think the really primary example of something that stands out upon uh, subsequent viewings is that you can appreciate the structure of the show way more when you go back and revisit it versus when you're watching it for the first time, especially if you got to watch it like as it was coming out, because as it was coming out, 
I was able to enjoy it. I, I could enjoy the writing. I could enjoy the characters. I could enjoy that everything um, was like uh, was just really well made um, and well constructed. Uh, but as I was watching it, I got the feeling that the story felt kind of incoherent and disjointed at times because it goes a lot of places. And even though the show is named after Andor, you spend like a good amount of time actually away from him and with other characters and following different kinds of plot lines. And so when I was watching it, um, I recall we got to like um, the last episode and we were about to start it. And, um, and the people whole I was watching it with, we were all just like, it feels like there are like so many things that they need to wrap up <laughs> and address and it feels impossible <laughs> that they're going to <laughs> because there was just so much going on and so many storylines um, happening at the same time. So when you go back and rewatch it and you can rewatch it um, in bigger chunks, um, anybody who wants to do um, a rewatch, I highly suggest kind of watching like three episodes at a time. Cause a lot yeah. of the story arcs can kind of be chopped up into three episodes. Um, and being able to rewatch it, you just get to like, um, you get the benefit of being aware of what's going to happen, so you can spend more time like drawing lines between characters and kind of connecting the dots and seeing how all the stories that are going on kind of relate um, back to each other, and how even though you spend a lot of time away from Andor, Andor is to like use um, our worst inspired imagery. Um, Andor himself is kind of the spark that like causes everything else in the story to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very much a a point of reaction for everybody else in the show, and so being able to go back and rewatch it and just kind of like spend the time thinking about the scenes more with the background of you know how it ultimately goes. I think that was like a way, kind of approved way to view it. Um, but no, no, I think it's, I think it's great, man. I love this show. I don't know if it's my favorite Star Wars thing that has come out in like the nude Disney era, but Mm. like, it's, it's probably the best if I'm being um, objective about it. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you about the first time I watched this show, (laughs) which I guess, I don't know. Have we even talked about this personally yet? Um, we, not really, no, we very, we we very briefly talked about the show, I think, on, like, um, a random, like, um, tangential episode of Anim Talk, but, like, I don't think we've ever really, like, hashed out our feelings about the show before. Gotcha. Well, I mean, so, no, no time, and no time like the president of this episode. (laughs) Here we Uh, go. Everybody's getting unfiltered. (laughs) Yes, yeah, exactly. Unfiltered with Jacob Hardesty. Um... I hated the first four episodes of this show when I first watched it. Wow, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Jacob Hardesty hates Andor. Hates Andor, yeah. <laughs> no, no I hated I, anything more. I legitimately hated the first four episodes um, for a few different reasons. Um, one, like like you said, everything feels super disjointed when you're first watching it. Um, and if you're really, if you're not really ready for that kind of storytelling, if you're not ready to go into 
so many different areas so quickly um, and with different subplots and storylines and everything, then you're not going to enjoy the show. It's just it's just the way it is. Um, what got me back in the first time, because I, I distinctly remember hating it starting, and then the second half was just fantastic to me. Um, because everything about the Aldani heist is damn near perfect. Um, particularly the the fact that the the eye of Aldani itself is one of the coolest mm, moments yeah. in in any 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 Star Wars media. Um, yeah, I but we'll we'll we are gonna circle back to that here in just a little bit. But with with this viewing, knowing where it ends, you know, understanding that basically everything is getting you to. The entire show is one big setup to Marva, Marva's speech in the last episode. Um, when it really comes right down to it. Um, and understanding that in this moment, or in this viewing, makes this entire show just perfect, in my opinion. Um, I, I'm like you, I don't think it is my favorite, um, just because when you have... I, I loved Obi-Wan Kenobi. I love all the Mandalorian stuff. I loved Ahsoka. When you have all these other characters that I, no offense to Cassian, I do care more about because for most of them, I've grown up with them. Um, I don't know if this one is as endearing as the others. However, I, I do kind of agree with you. I think this is definitely one of the best from a production standpoint and just a, a writing standpoint. I think everything comes together really, really well in this. Also, Knowing that the Empire is supposed to be the most boring, just drudge through each scene, and that Cyril is supposed to be just insufferable the entire season, <laughs> makes it so much better. I kept watching it the first time, just like, when is he going to do anything remotely interesting? Like, when it be, because because you have all these other Imperials, you know, uh, yeah, it, this is a Cyril. This is a Cyril Karn uh, uh, hate podcast, by the way. But I uh, just want to get that out right now. You have all these other Imperials, where everyone else is actually doing something interesting. Daedra is doing interesting stuff. Even Blevin, who I kind of hate him, he's also doing interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Mosk is the only Imperial that I have ever looked at and been like, "You need to defect because I want you on our side um, <laughs> because you're wonderful." And I just wish you were doing it for a better cause. Um, you know, uh, Admiral Yularen gets a random cameo for our yeah. Clone Wars fans. He sure you know? does. Every, every time you see... Yeah, it's... Yeah, let, let me rephrase. <laughs> that was kind of rough. Because <laughs> it's like, no, I went through seven seasons with him. <laughs> Why is he evil now? <laughs> um... But no, I I just everything about this show worked better for me when I went in with very few expectations, um, and I think watching this what like two months after Kenobi or after Obi Wan Kenobi's show had ended kind of hurt it for me as a viewer because Obi Wan Kenobi is very much a it is very much a, hey, remember those prequel movies like you always kind of loved, even though they might not be the best? 
we're going to give you like the best version of 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 an epilogue for them and or are their main characters anyways yes mm-hmm. i know clone wars and rebels yes i know um yeah. and then you get to this and everything is very slow and slowly paced and and everyone is just talking and not really doing anything and it's not nearly as exciting and yes i know i sound like a child but it's true <laughs> But that's why this show works, and we are going to get mm-hmm. into that here in just a little bit about different arcs. In fact, that is going to be our first question. Um, oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, here, here we go. Uh, um, Al, did you have a particular favorite arc in this? Because there's technically four, because you have the Ferrix setup, mm-hmm. you have the Aldani heist, right? You have the prison, and then you have the return to Ferrix. Did right. you have? particular favorite arc that you really enjoyed yeah oh gosh um i mean it's a tough question right it's it's hard to not say the return of eric's right (laughs) because that's where like that is the culmination of like all of the stories and characters that we have followed for t- t- and episodes up to that mm-hmm. point that's where it all kind of comes together and uh and pops off um and so it's hard to not say the return to f- eric's um but at the s- same time you know i think i think as far as um one of the things we talk about sometimes on the show um his show referring to the podcast you guys are listening to right now. Um, one of the things we talk about with Star Wars stories and projects is that, you know, um, it's it's fair to think about them and provide criticism about them based on both the quality of them inherently, like the inherent components of a story. Are they there? And it's fair to like to judge them and think about them in that way. But it's also valuable when you have an IP like this to think about it in terms of what does it contribute to um, the greater world that it's a part of, right? And so the the episodes where Cassian is is in jail, he's like in the prison colony would you say it's a colony it's like a it Uh, it gives the feeling that like it's a planet made for to be a prison (laughs) it kind of does but like when he's in the facility um it offers so many intricate hooks and scenes into what the machine of the empire is mm-hmm. at this point in time. And I think that the things we see, the things that we see, you know, the, um, the cruelty with which they treat the prisoners, the various ways that they kind of crush people into some mission, they crush out their hope. Just the hideousness of the prison complex um 
in Star Wars, of course, couldn't be talking about anything else. The insidiousness of the prison <laughs> complex um, paints such an important picture of how the rot of of the dark side of Palpatine of the evil authoritarianism within the Empire really drips down and bleeds into every aspect of of what the Empire is. And so um, I'll probably end up saying this a lot in this episode, but just the idea that, you know, you have the Emperor, uh, the Emperor is like this weird mystical fascist guy um he's kind of hard to pin down in concrete terms you have Darth vader he's kind of hard to pin down in concrete terms that like we understand and can relate ourselves to the idea of a system and a bureaucracy that is designed to take away hope to emit people within the very nature of who they are um uh, their ability to strip them of an entity like that um that is a threat and that is for a lot of people a real a reality that we can actually see that we can actually feel and understand in real world terms and the amount of times that andor is able to do that with things and just take the antagonism of, of the empire that we've known about for you know almost 50 years now and translate it into something that feels real and feels detailed because it feels so real um is just really impressive and speaks both to the strength of the genre of this show and how it's kind of unique to a lot of star wars stuff we get as well as um, just in general to like uh the skill of the writers behind it and like the skill of the production and stuff like that. Um, I mean, you go, you take any scene from the jail, uh, uh, whether it be when they're in like on the workrooms or when they go back to their um, cells or when they um, even are in transit in the hallways between the cells and the workroom, because that's uh, the only places they're allowed to go. Like everything about the production design like amplifies the themes that are being talked about and and conveyed in that arc because everything is really everything is either just like really gray or like it's like blinding white and like there's no real color anywhere so like there's no real like entity to anything for people to like to, to grab a hold of within their environment everybody is referred to by like the number uh, that they wear so like their identity is stripped down just like everything about the production of those scenes mm. convey what they're trying to say so well and it adds just a new layer to something that that we thought we were so familiar with within the greater star wars world that like i don't know man it's just really really hard to, to overstate how important that arc of episodes is um <clears throat> no, I I completely agree with you. I in fact I'm I'm a little upset we picked the same one. Um, but but uh, <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. Uh, <laughs> no, you um, you hit the nail on the head with everything you said there, man. It because I think 
rewatching this, see, I, I, like I said, like I said, this wasn't part of the first four, so I already enjoyed this the first time I watched it. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, rewatching it and seeing there's so there's so many nuances to that arc. There's so many nuances to the scenes in the prison and why why they work so well. Um, you mentioned, of course, the, the design of it with the, you know, the, the bright, the bright, like white halls and everything that they, that they have. And, um, and that's definitely, I mean, that's, that's something I didn't even pick up on just the, how there is no real color except for when they're lighting a floor up, uh, to electrocute you to death. Um, that's all it is. (laughs) Um, You know, it. What's really interesting, though, for me in those episodes is how the human interaction changes so much depending on who you're looking at, because you I, I think the scene where the older gentleman, uh, Olaf, dies mm. is very, very important because of how the doctor reacts to him. Sure. Because you notice he gets there and they they say his name twice and he's like, I don't want to know his name. And it's because he already – he is accepted where he is in life. He has accepted that this is it. Um, he's just moving – going through the motions and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how much that mirrors what um, Kino Loy, uh, Andy Serkis' character, yeah. is feeling at that time because – I really like the idea of them like one of the one of the inmates is going to be the best inmate. One of the inmates is going to be the the leader of them. Mm-hmm. You notice that like it's not but he's not an employee like he's not getting paid to be here. It's not helping him get, you know, anything else off of his sentence. He's just the one in charge. That's all it is. Okay? Oh yeah. If you want to talk about like um not gonna talk for a long time about just like the sociology behind a lot of these scenes and like uh that one and that character in particular um with you know like that's like it's such a classic technique that the in group (laughs) that the group in a position of power will do to keep the oppressed population oppressed is to choose like a select few of them to just be like, yeah, well, like you aren't like really like them. I mean, like, you know, you can do like this that they can't do. And we can give you like these like responsibilities to make you feel important to make you feel like you're almost like a part of us and like as good as us, even though you aren't, but like we want to create like that kind of barrier between you and the rest of them and and what that does is just a way to create a hierarchy within the out group that doesn't really provide structure it just kind of keeps things like very tense and distressing amongst them because it like screws with their entities and so, and that's a really good way to keep an oppressed group oppressed is to like cause just enough division within them that they're preoccupied with themselves and not with the people who are actually oppressing them. 
And like, I don't know, that like small way to do that is just like so well done. Um, it's great. Yeah, I just, it, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> everything about that segment just shows why the, why the Empire works so well as a villain and why the Empire works so well just in, in my opinion, that's the moment when Cat when that's the moment where Cassian really turns. Like, I mean, I, I, mm. I know that the technical moment when he turns is supposed to be uh when he finds out Marva's dead. Mm. But and, and he's you know, he's reading Nemec's book and everything. But when it comes right down to it, like that's the moment, you know, the the whole the whole segment where where they're they're breaking out the big one way out speech and and all of that, everything about that is just, that is his moment. Even if he doesn't realize that he's a rebel, at that point, he is a rebel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think it's, I think it goes to show just that concept of once you are really pitted up against, pitted up against the wall and, and you finally realize who, who the true danger is and who the true oppressor is. That's when you start to realize I have to do something. Otherwise, mm. I can I can either lay down the dirt and I, and I can die, or I can actually do something. And and to quote or to paraphrase the the show, um, I would rather give it all, fighting them. And yeah, that's for me that that's what that's that last moment is why that why that arc is the best. And also, um, you know. I, we're, we're we're focusing so much on the prison, and, and don't get me wrong, the, the the prison segment is is what's important there. But I mean, the scene where uh, Luthen is explaining to Lonnie the um, the ISB agent that's in that's that's working for him, mm. the scene where he's just explaining like you know what 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 is my sacrifice, like that. Stellan Skarsgård does not get enough credit for this show. <laughs> oh, no. uh, he, he really doesn't, because um, everyone else kept talking about Diego Luda, and everyone else kept talking about um, 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 uh, Dedra, Dedra Miro, and everything. And nothing oh, against, sure. nothing against the two of them. They're fantastic. Everyone in this show is great, but Stellan Skarsgård might be the best performance of the show for me. Um, Particularly because of how he is playing two roles and everything. the The scene where, um, the scene where Mon Mothma comes to him and is basically like, "Hey, I'm Mon Mothma, and I kind of screw things up from time to time." Um, and he is every time he's turning towards the glass, he has you no know, the the bright smile, and he and he's he's the seller. Mm -hmm. But the moment that he turns around. He's the rebel again. It's it's a really interesting scene um, that I did not notice how good it was the first time I watched it. Um, oh yeah, he he's he's so good. Just like every time he's on camera, yeah, like he's just like he's a kind of actor, and like Andor really really exemplifies this. He's a kind of actor where like a thing he does. Is without a reason. Yeah, like there's a point to like every time like he moves and like every time like he he looks a certain way instead of the other is to like 
convey something. It's mm-hmm. just like <laughs> just everything he does is just so well done and so um, intentional. Um, I have to say, just while we're on the topic of him, the part of the show early on in the show where he first heads back to Coruscant and he's on his ship and he puts on um, like his wig and his rings and stuff. And he's like, and like he's practicing like his, his accent and the way he carries himself to play the role he needs to play. Um, Watching that scene with somebody who does not know what's happening is the funniest experience I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Because he goes and he, he like, he he isolates himself in like uh, the bathroom equivalent, basically on his ship. And he puts on the wig and he starts to like sway a little bit and like laugh to himself. And I look over um, again at my boy, Josh Moore and Josh is just like, what? What's he doing? (laughs) What's What's going on? <laughs> what is happening here? That is, I just had to bring that up because that is like the best experience I've ever had watching something with that. I, I can see that. Like, yeah. <laughs> what's he doing? What's what's going on? But um, nah, man. Like, um, I'm sorry to like hijack the flow real quick, but like, dude, you're good with him. Um. Speaking of Skarsgård and his character, like, um, I really formed this theory about his character. And, like, it isn't, like, a story-related one at all. But, like, um, upon re-watching it and having watched, like, a lot of other Star Wars stuff that takes place around this era, um, it feels like to me, and, like, I'd love to hear your opinion of this, that Uthin in this turns out to be the kind of character that they were trying to do with saw in rogue one. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, because I mean, um, and also his, like his <laughs> scars is so good in this show that his scenes with saw Guerrera, like made me interested to see saw Guerrera in the show yeah. <laughs> like as someone who does not like that character he made that character like so much better than what he was but like he's he's a character like he's really set up to be the guy in the early days of the rebellion who is in the position to make those tough choices that have to be made mm. um he's the one who's willing to like to stay in the shadows to to sacrifice anything else to play like to basically be in like the most dangerous position arguably in the rebellion you could also argue that it's among Hothma as well but like um since he's the one who's like actually controlling the strings of the rebellion in those early days um i mean he's the one who isb is like is targeting in the first place um and so like he's set up to be like the quote unquote the bad guy of the rebellion right sure um obviously the show is like not set up to be like completely black and white like that but um he's set up to be the one to make those hard decisions and he's so good at playing that actor and the writing he gets is so much more effective than what Saw has gotten in the past 
that like you sit and, and you watch it and you're just like, oh, this is what Saul was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the character that like they were trying to do with Saul and it just d- didn't take off. Um, and this is like the real version of that. I don't know like how you feel about that idea, but that's just like the impression I got upon rewatching it. No, it's I'm I literally almost got out of my chair. I'm so glad you said that because I was already thinking it. Um, because because God help them, they tried with Saul Guerrero. Um, that man is in he is in Rogue One. <laughs> two separate Dave Filoni cartoons. <laughs> yes. Um he is in um uh he's in um Andor and mm-hmm. he is also in I know he's in the first Jedi Survivor. I can't remember if he's in the se- I off the top of my head I can't remember if he's in the sequel. I'm yeah. fairly certain he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just just because why not? Um the man was everywhere, okay? And <laughs> he was the Roy Kent of Star Wars. <laughs> he was, yes, he was the Roy Kent of Star Wars for for the last like eight years. But for some reason, but in my opinion, he just never takes off as well as what they want him to. And I'm wondering if there was a point where Forrest Whitaker, like as he as they were like you know watching back like the episodes or watching back the scenes or whatever, he was just like, damn, like he's the He's he's what they wanted for Saw. Like it because because you're right. The everything everything that I dislike about Rogue One. The and 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 honestly the older I've gotten that's that's not as many things as it was. Um because I've realized it's not that I hate Rogue One, it's that I hate Saw Gerrera. Um and, and I hate I hate Sagarera and I hate stupid rebel leaders who don't understand, you know, we don't need to kill Galen Urso. Um, but that's but that's a whole other discussion. Um that we will get to before the end of this, by the way. Um Ooh, oh boy. Yeah, a little foreshadowing for you there. Um Saw in Rogue One and in and in the uh Genocidal episode of Rebels, because uh, that's the <laughs> way to properly describe what he wants to do. In that. Um, everything about him, you get the idea that they are trying way too hard to make this edgy, dark character. Okay? Mm. And in my opinion, it does not work because you never see any other side of him. So mm. you never really see any in it. Because here's the thing. I can't think... I saw Rogue One before I watched all the Clone Wars. So I kept thinking, well, I'll watch this. I'll watch this origin and I'll get more of an idea of why he is this way. No, he's just kind of an asshole. Like, <laughs> it's just like, like, yeah, he wants to fight the Empire. But honestly, I think he just kind of wants to fight just in general. Mm-hmm. And the reason Luthen works where Saw doesn't is one, because you do get the idea that there are people he wants to protect. There are things that he wants – there are things that he wants to happen because he knows that for the greater – as he says, for the greater good or whatever you want to call it, to whatever you want to call it, which he doesn't say the ending part of it, but you can tell that whatever helps you sleep at night basically, um, you have to sacrifice – or at that point, you had to sacrifice certain things. And so the entire scene where he goes to Saw – to 
effectively tell him, hey, don't join up with Krieger's men because they're all walking into an ambush. That entire scene works so much better because we have seen the other side of who Luthen is. Mm. Because me personally... I kind of get the idea that it was not the rebellion leader, then the antique antiquities owner. It was 100% the antiquities owner who was like, someone else has to do something. Because I I study these antiques. I know the histories of this galaxy. I know I have seen things like this before. Rather you want, whether you want to call it Malik and Revan, whether you want to call it Exar Kun, uh, the, at the we didn't know what they were then, but the Nile. You could mm. you could look back at anything in the older public, and just point to it and say Luthen's probably read about that, and that's why he cannot allow the Empire to be what it is. Mm. So, everything about Luthen's character <clears throat> works so much better because of that, and they never give Saw anything beyond just. I am the rebellion leader that just wants to blow things up and destroy the empire by the most by the most demolition esque style I can. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Um, and like that scene itself, it so perfectly draws the line between the type of rebel that Saul is and, and the type of rebel that Luthen is, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, even after Uthen told Saul, like, hey, don't meet up with Krieger because he's going to die. Like, they're taking him. Um, Saul's first reaction to that scene is, like, he still wants to go. He, he's just he's just like, nah, man. I'll meet up with my homie. Like, let's yeah. let's go down swinging. Awesome. Like, well, let's try it. Because because Saw, when it comes to the type of rebel he is, Saw is a radical. He's like he's to the point he's so far gone to the cause that like he doesn't even think about pros and cons. He doesn't do the math behind like um, what kind of loss you'd have to suffer to gain a victory. He doesn't even think along those lines because he's a radical. He's so lost to his own belief in the cause that he doesn't think things through. And Uthin is a rebel, but he's not lost to his ideals. He, he understands his ideals and he weighs things carefully to understand those hard sometimes even like heartless choices that he has to make um and so um it's odd because like when Saul Guerrero is first introduced in Rogue One you almost get the impression that they're trying to say like oh see Saul like he's gray because he toes the line between like being cruel and fighting for the rebellion, which is ultimately good. And then you get Uthin and you're just like, well, no, compared to Uthin, Saul sees things completely in black and white because mm. all Saul sees is that, Hey, rebellion is good. We need to help them. Empire is bad. We need to stop them. And that's as far as Saul goes, but Uthin 
arguably sees those shades of gray way more because he's able to say, yeah, the Empire is bad, but like, um, um, he even says to the guy in the ISB, he's just like, what, 15 men? You're like way more valuable than that. Like, yeah, just like <laughs> it's uh, it's so easy for him because he's able to do that kind of math. And while, you know, you don't want that kind of characteristic in every character that you get. Um, it's just interesting to like see them paint the lines between these characters and show how even the people who are behind the same cause, the way they approach it, um, can be completely different. Um, and like, yeah, man, those just, God, every scene he's in is just so good. It's just so well written and so well done. Like it's awesome. God, Skarsgård's the man. I wish we could. He just is. (laughs) Model the Skarsgård family tree up and just like <laughs> sprinkles some of it on on every project that comes out <laughs> so that there's like a little bit of their of their talent and ability and everything that comes out It'd be so good just a little bit here and there just all, all over yeah Got all the scars guard. There is no bad scars guard. It's amazing. <laughs> there is there is no every every scars guard kills it. <laughs> um this is probably a stupid question to ask now, but who was your favorite? Besides Cassian, who was your favorite character? It's probably and- Luthen, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is, it's a stupid question to ask now. Well, um, I, do, I do want to, though, um, especially since um, we were just kind of a conductor of the hate train um, earlier in the episode. Um, sure, yes. Woo-woo. Um, ooh, ooh, indeed. I, I do want to shout out a character though, because I think this I think this character is great, and I think that he is so he's not misunderstood as to like who he is, but I think the reason why he is the way he is is not always understood by people who watch the show and talk about it, because Earl Karn is a excellently written character oh yeah like the the way that he serves his function in that show and in that and like on the grander scale is like so perfectly done because you have these again so many times we're introduced to these imperial characters who are like just cartoonishly evil Mm. like it goes all the way back to like the opening scenes of a new hope where harkin is just like well if you don't want to talk to me i guess i'll kill 80 billion people on this planet (laughs) 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 even after you talk to me i'll do it anyway um like just cartoonishly evil um that like you wonder you're just like okay how is not everybody in the galaxy against the empire they're so blatantly horrible and like to show a character who just like stands the empire all while being like a total like user is like incredible to see like that kind of role is so important to see because like hero karn is a great character because he's like so relatable and easy to hate um Mm -hmm. like he's like he's the kid who like 
who like reminds the teacher about the homework. Like he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like the traffic cop who gives you like a speeding ticket for going three over the speed limit. Like he's so like, he's such a relatable person to just like spew all of your vitriol towards. And like, it's so, and like, again, to talk about the realism within the show and the way they're able to take these, high fantasy ideas of like space fascism and stuff to make them real and relatable is they take a guy like Cyril who's like just like like at the beginning of the show he isn't even like really an imperial he's like Paul Blart He's like yeah. he's like he's like a security officer on like a crappy planet, and so like to see this guy like have nothing really going on in his life at all, and like he loses his job, he goes back, moves in with his mom, which like I understand is like a very real thing for a lot of very good people out there as well, but like um, and like he just like he just sits there. And like he eats his stupid space Fruit Loops, and he, <laughs> and he and he and he goes to like this desk job that he thinks is like so below him. But like, dude, you live in the Star Wars universe, and you have a desk job. Like you're the safest person in the planet right now. <laughs> like and like he's just like has his whole Id- identity over this obsession with this guy who like screwed him out of his job and like he's just like will absolutely like voluntarily will die for this empire who does not care about him and he's so he's such a pathetic man (laughs) and that character is so important to have because that's how we relate that's how we understand because you see it and you're just like oh i know guys who think that like Billionaires care about him. Like I know, <laughs> I know guys like that. <laughs> like I get it now. Like, um, I don't know, man. I, all, all that we didn't see that would have perfected his character more is like a scene of him, like on the hollow net, like talking about how, like the like all Guerrera is like secretly a girl or something. Like just like. <laughs> just like the pure and like utter selling point of just being like ah, ah this guy sucks i can't get enough of him like it's so it's so well done that is such a great character ah god i love it yeah i um this despite the hatred that i do have for him as a character um he is a brilliant character, and he does work. You are absolutely correct. He does work very, very well. Yeah. Um, uh, gosh, he's yeah. so insane. I love him. <laughs> so that, yeah. <laughs> he's so insane. God, when he shows up outside of dangerous work, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this guy's like actually an incel. They, these writers are genius. This is amazing. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> Wow, incels in Star Wars. This is <laughs> art has never imitated life more. We never thought we'd get it. Um... <laughs> oh, man. Um... Did you? 
let, let's let's do this. Was was there any was was there anyone else besides Cyril that you want to talk about? Like of like the major character? Because for me, it's this show is interesting, um, and the season two will be interesting in the same way because there are in this show five characters where I know exactly what's going to happen to them, mm-hmm. but everyone else is completely up for grabs yeah. because I know I know what's happening to Cassian and Saul in Rogue One. Sure. I know, I know that somehow Mon Mothma makes it all the way to Ahsoka, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and I know that. Uh, oh, excuse me. Okay, I know Edrian Two Tubes is also going to be with Saw. Ah, uh, um, <laughs> you gotta love Two Tubes. <laughs> and, you gotta love Two Tubes. The the guy he escapes the prison with. Uh, yeah, is is Melchi, and uh, for anyone who watches watches stuff with captions on, um, yeah, for or, real. or if you just had the, or if you just had the uh, the volume up loud, um, Melchi is one of the three captains on Scarif. Mm-hmm. Cassian's one of the others, and um, the little scrunched up face blue alien that goes at at is the other one <laughs> yeah, yeah he's great <laughs> uh, yes yes he, yes he is great uh they would not have known that the at at was there if he did not say anything I mean, uh, which apparently not because like bays had no idea until Kirit said something the blind <laughs> guy had to get him out of the way which is interesting um but no i um was there so? Is there anyone else that you wanted to talk about in this? Because I there is at least one character I did want to talk about. Okay, yeah. Um, so I did want to sh- shout out um, his character is great. Obviously, he plays like the philosophical heart of the show, but um, I do just want to sh- shout out that actor though. Um, Alex Author plays. Harris, um, of the guy on Aldani who writes like the manifesto, um, essentially, which is like the only time the word manifesto has ever been used with like a positive connotation. But, <laughs> but um, uh, um, he's great in that show, and that actor, um, in general is like just awesome. I hope he gets um, a lot more work. Uh, because what, he's what else has he been in? He's been in um, the end of the world, um, which is an Netflix show. He's incredible in that. Okay. Um, he played young uh, Benedict Humberbatch in the Imitation Game. Um, okay, uh, which is like an okay depiction of Alan Turing. Um, and then he was in um, a couple episodes of Black Mirror as well. That's um, okay. I've yeah. dude, the entire time I was trying to figure out, I was like, I know his face from something. Oh, and, and um, the first two things you had said, I was like, I, that's not it. Um, he was also in uh, the last duel. He's a King Charles. Oh, okay. Was was that any good? No, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it was all right. I still, <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> Good enough to interrupt Andor, but it's it's fine. Sure, <laughs> sure. sorry. <laughs> it's pretty good, but 
<laughs> but um, no, no, no. Uh, I love that actor. I just hope he gets a lot more work um, because he's excellent in, um, in everything he's in. But uh, yeah, yeah. All of the scenes with him in it um, were great because you get to see like um, the ideals and the passions of the rebellion like put into words and put into like actual some medical theory and stuff. And that's really cool. But yeah. Yeah, I think Nimick is definitely someone I did want to talk about um, because I, I think Marva's speech kind of becomes like the focal point, but his but Cassian reading the manifesto right before the night before is still is also very important as well, especially with everything that he is saying in that. Um, let's see. I really what what did he say? I really liked um, what is the line? Um, Pockets of rebellion happen all across the galaxy until we all realize we have the same enemy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> no. oh, he's cooking. <laughs> I was like, that is a, that is a good one. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I did really like him there. There is a, there is a singular character I wanted to talk about, but honestly he works best when you talk about the three of them together. Um, Marva, Clem, and Bimo are just perfect from beginning to end. Um, I think they, I, I kind of, I almost feel bad for Clem because you don't get to see him much throughout the show. Right. Because of course he, he dies, you know, about, uh, what would you say? Probably about. 15 year well no it's definitely 15 years because because uh, they're they're clone troopers not stormtroopers at the time Ooh, um, I, don't, I don't know I don't know if you eagle eye viewers want to notice that eagle eye viewers <laughs> <laughs> um, they are in clone trooper armor not storm not yet stormtroopers um, but it's such a the three of them are in are really interesting characters because. They were re- they're they're the OG rebels by identical reference. I mean, mm. you know, I think I think they kind of made the realization because of course they talk about Ferrix being just far enough away from everything else, but, but being close to nothing, you know. And it's in the sense of everyone is going to have to co- go there to get to someplace else. So that's mm. why they're they're so much of a they're either rather a minor which is where they, they they have, you know, it's a mineral planet, or you are a trader or a merchant or a merchant or whatever word you want to use that doesn't get misconstrued. Um, <laughs> but um, them kind of having that mentality of just like going to old rundown ships, getting scrapping it for what you can and then selling it when everyone else is trying to mark things up and, you know, it it's that in itself is already interesting, mm. but also the fact that you kind of get this, you kind of get this air about the two of them, even in that first scene where they first find Cassian as as a, t- uh, I almost said child, but he's really more like a teenager at the time. Um, yeah, he's like eleven or twelve, I think. Yeah, eleven or twelve. Yeah. Um, you get this sense that they have this kind of weariness about the world in general. 
Um, and they're very careful. They they say Republic. Like, they don't say Empire. Like, they... Because I, I remember when I first watched this, I was like, oh, they're Imperials. You know, that's why they shot a kid. And, but then... I was like, but wait, that timeline does not add up. Mm-hmm. And so rewatching this, I was like, they're a republic, aren't they? And then they called them a republic starship. And I was like, oh, oh, that's not great either. You know, because you're, of course, you grow up. And of course, you're or you're growing up your entire time is like, oh, yeah, they're the republic were the good guys. The separatists were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the separatists were good guys, but like. I don't know, man, the republic may not have been 100 percent great if they're, you know shooting random kids immediately. Um, but yeah. you know, what, what, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> but with, it's, it's almost as if the show is saying overarching things about, about <laughs> the inherent nature of power and mm. overextending authority. Uh <laughs> Oh, uh Oh, <laughs> Uh oh. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, I just I really liked the scenes with them. Like I really liked the two scenes with, like uh, like I said, I know it sucks because one of them is his is his death, but that's a very poignant scene where he is he's telling Ca- he's telling Cassian he's like you know. We'll let them stomp around, let them do their thing. They'll go and they'll leave us alone. Okay. Which is a possibility. And, you know, you you want to believe that. But, of course, it flies in the face of everything that Marva says at the end of I've been sleeping. Um, but because of it and because of him trying to stop the other guys who are like, no, don't, uh, don't throw stones, yada, yada, don't, don't rebel this is not our time we're just we're just going to be calm and then we're just going to let this pass but because of it he gets hung for it and the idea of doing the right thing of doing the right thing and still getting and still doing the right thing and taking the fall for for what is being done and still losing your life or being hurt because of it is such a prevalent theme throughout the entirety of the show. Um, I mean, by all technical reference, since we already mentioned him, the best person on Aldani is, in my opinion, the one that has one of the roughest deaths, um, which sucks because, you know, everyone else, I mean, obviously no, no death is a good death, but I mean, the other guys, I mean, they just got blaster. They just got blasters, you know, Nimic got crushed by the, the gold they were trying to steal, um, you know, and that's just, I, that's, yeah. but he, he's legitimately a good person and he's trying to do yeah. the right thing there, you know, and it, there's no s- symbolism there at all. Yeah. Yeah. No symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, then you get you, later, later on, of course you get the, I, I love the little, it, or B or what what whatever the little robot is called. I I know it's like B two E M O or yeah. oh my god he's emo. Um, but whatever he's supposed to be called, he's too emo. He's too emo. Whoa. <laughs> um, I I just I love him so much because he is such a 
he's such a stalwart companion. And he's so he he just wants he just wants a family again. And it's so hard to 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 when you really start thinking about that, because he's the entire time he just wants Cassian and Marva to just be there and be with him. And then and that's the whole thing at the end with with Brasso's like, you know, I I can't leave you alone. Marva wouldn't want wouldn't want that. And I don't know, man. They're just they're just great. They're they're just such good. Such good little little characters. Um, yeah. yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah. Speaking of Brasso as well, like very understated character. Yeah. Um, but man, he rocks, dude. He he's, does. <laughs> he, he kicks ass, man. I love Brasso. He's so he awesome. Does. I think one of the the it's not my hypest moment, so I'm gonna go ahead and mention it now. Um, but I just love when as he is holding the stone that is literally all of Marva's essence. He is beating someone over the head with it. Um, as she would want. <laughs> as she would want. Exactly. <laughs> like, um, I just, I don't know, man. I think that's great. I, I just, you know, just, just 10 out of 10. Beautiful. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> no, man, it's great. Like even going back to the first time watching this show um, and that, Last episode where like oh my gosh it's just like a crescendo of the episode and like tensions are just so high and it's so stressful and stuff and you see things like amping up and escalating and escalating and escalating and like um i mean brasso is like right there in the midst of all the imperials and stuff and even when i was watching it the first time i was just like oh man i hope he jack some people up like <laughs> he's so he's been such a solid character this whole time mm. and like it's just yeah man he's just great i love brasso dude S- super understated character but he's yeah. he's so effective yeah i think he yeah he's he's just great I, I i like him because from the moment you see him you know exactly where he stands and he does not change from for, he does not change at all throughout throughout the series of just being mm. that that rock, you know, for them, um, and then proceeding to beat people with rocks. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a pointed question to ask you. I'm ready. I'll probably have a pointed answer. We'll see. <laughs> because the more I see this character. In in both the old EU, plus the as well as the new canon, the less I like this character. What are your thoughts on Mon Mothma? Mon Mothma, gotcha. Yeah, excellent. I'm so glad you asked me about her. Yeah, so um, I do have some thoughts on her um, in this show. So that is a character who. Before this show, I primarily knew Othma from, well, from the Godzilla films. But, um, mm, yes. But, <laughs> wow, they changed her character over the years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, no, I primarily knew her character from, like, old canon books. Because she mm. plays, um, she plays a really big role in, like, in, like, the... I story the B story of the Jedi Academy um, 
trilogy. And so like, I primarily knew who, like who she was really as a character, aside from like the the five lines that she has in the original films um, from like the old canon books. And in the old canon books, she's depicted as being somebody who is very good, obviously, at diplomacy. She cares very much about the Republic. Um, she um, has like an inner circle of people who like she really, really trusts, even though she tries to open herself up to everyone for the sake of stability. Uh, within the Republic, she has like a tight knit group of people who she really relies on. So like she is very like others based, uh, which is something I always really enjoyed about her when I read about her. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it's really interesting in this show where it is very much a prequel series to the characters we uh, we know to see her struggle with that. Because she is, so we find her in a very rough place, right? We find her and she is trying to like siphon off funds to fund the the rebellion while she's like three floating chair discs away from Emperor Palpatine. Like, she's like... <laughs> so she's in a rough spot, and, like, the rebellion, like, Uthan is constantly asking her for more, which, like, yeah, that's important, but, like, also, she's, like, sh- she can, like, smell what Palpatine had for lunch that day. Like, so, so like, she's in a pretty <laughs> crappy spot to, to begin with. I think it's so... Interesting. I know that this is probably not the version of the character that people wanted to see because we have a tendency to want to see the characters like more as they are, like in the main thing we know them from. And so um, I thought it was interesting to see her at this point be kind of bad at her job, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, I thought it was interesting to see her like try to build these bridges and make these connections, but like kind of struggle with that at the same time. Um, the, the really big interesting twist I had with Mon Mothma is when she, um, first of all, I will say, um, before I talk too highly about like uh, the writing of her character, um, insane that her husband does not know that she's funding the rebellion. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. I hope season two features like her breaking down and telling him, and him being like, "What the- I know, like I've known, like as soon as you started to do this, <laughs> like." <laughs> I want her husband to like secretly also be a part of the rebellion because <laughs> like, that's the only way that this makes sense. Cause she's really bad at hiding things. Um, so just to get that out of the way, um, the part where she, um, I forget his name, but um, her childhood friend who like does like financing and banking and stuff. Uh, Tay Colma. Yes. Um, so yeah. when Tay Colma sets her up, with this like 
that's, um, I kind of assume he's like Abba the Hut, where he's like in the mob, um, essentially. He's, yeah. like, he's like in the mob in Coruscant, is what I understood. Um, and he sets her up uh, to talk to him, and he's just like, um, yeah, we're both French and like we have that in common. I'm happy to help you out, happy to spot you what you need to do whatever you need to. If you will allow like our kids to like hang out and if they if I happen to to get like inlawed into a powerful change Rilla family on Coruscant, then I guess that happens. Um when that came up, I was just like, okay, this will be where we like see her resolve. This is where we see her like take a stand of like I love the rebellion but like I still have a family I have a daughter to to harbor and protect and stuff like that when the season ends and like they're all there and she agreed to it I was like oh whoa (laughs) like not what I saw happening I don't hate it but like whoa that's a really that's a really bad look for Mon Mothma (laughs) And like that isn't to say I think that like she's irredeemable or anything, but I'm really interested to see where that goes because whoa, that's that's a big deal. That was a really big um, direction for her character to take that I wasn't expecting there with that. But um, yeah, um, I think it's an interesting depiction of her uh, for sure with like some caveats. But um, yeah, how did you how did you feel about about Mon Mothma, Jacob? <laughs> Um, so more so, more so in Ahsoka, but also with this one, um, I don't like my Mothma anymore. I just, I, if, if this is what we're, we're supposed to take, what we're supposed to take from her. Um, I love that. I love that description. I don't like Mon Mothma. I don't. I'm, like I'm yeah. not gonna, I'm not gonna buy her next album. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just. I haven't liked Mon Mothma since she dated Maddie Healy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, hey, on. I was go broke. Uh, <laughs> actually, oh man, I, I'm upset that's not going to happen now. Um, but no, I um, the new the new canon stuff, and 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 to be fair, I ha- I don't know as much about. Um, the old New Republic stuff, as you do, I will readily admit that. Um, with with Mon Mothma and so on and so forth, of follow, following the fall of the Empire, um, I knew she was from Tandrilla. That was the that was kind of the main thing I knew about her. Um, but I had always kind of seen her, and I realize this is most likely just my head canon from seeing her in Return of the Jedi years ago, I'd always kind of seen her as a counterpart to Leia, whereas Leia is willing to, you know, boots on the ground, like, I'm I'm going in with the team kind of situation. Mon Mothma's more in the background, where she's like, I'm the one who's kind of leading everything here. That was always kind of how I viewed her. So you can imagine my surprise when... I'm going to say two separate series tell me that she is very much a uh, a fence hugger 
when it comes to which side is she working for in Ahsoka. And um, it's really just kind of kind of bland and just kind of almost like he doesn't want to be there. Um, which is, which I get in this one makes more sense. In Ahsoka makes no sense. And I'm not going, I'm going to try to avoid just ranting about her and Ahsoka and focus more on her storyline in this because when she first shows up, I like, I really like the idea of her, like you said, <laughs> like you said, he's in a bad position. I don't want to take that aspect away from her um, by any means, because, because that, that is interesting of her being the most vocal senator out there against the Empire, um, which, as we know from watching Rebels, um, does not really come to a head for about two years following where we're at in Andor, mm. um, which is also interesting. Um, but she is very much, like, in the Senate, she is trying to... She is the one who is trying to keep the Empires under control as she possibly can, and then, you know, presumably, of course, a lot of these characters meet up years prior. Um, but so I kind of get the idea that just, you know, somewhere along the line, Luthen meets up with her and it's like, hey, Chandra has got a lot of money. Would be kind of interesting <laughs> if any of that was funded towards other activities. What do you think of the sword? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of wish it was exactly like that, by the way. Um, I want that deleted scene. Um, a mysterious dark side user named Starkiller wore this helmet once. Yes. Would you like to... <laughs> I do hope that they just put that armor in there and was like, God, the, the Reddit is going to have a heyday with this. Um, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure when they were like planning the set design, uh, they were just like, hey, you know what would make... <laughs> This like <laughs> this twenty eight year old kid in in Lexington, Kentucky, just like absolutely crap himself. Is if we put the Star Killer armor in like the backdrop of this shop that is in eighty percent of these scenes. <laughs> I think he would lose his mind if we did that. It's just like okay, what if even more? It's not even on the floor, but there's just like a anti holocron on the shelf in the back. It's just yeah. like even better. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, oh, okay. He just he just has those lying around. Um <laughs> No, I um I really do like or I want to like Mon Mothma. I really do. The problem is they keep showing her in this sense of someone who wants to help but just doesn't know how. She's a very Mon Mothma strikes me as a thoughts and prayers kind of person. Um, <laughs> like that's that's what he would put out on Twitter. Like, like the the destruction of Alderaan is truly horrendous, and we cannot allow the Empire to uh, to proceed in this way. And they have all my thoughts and prayers, like for the remaining like six people mm -hmm. from Alderaan who are alive. Like that's the that's the vibe I get from her in this. And I realize I'm probably being harsh and probably being a bit too unfair. But when you are counterbalancing scenes like that with everything that's happening on Narkina 5 in the prison, mm. it's kind of hard to not – it is hard to watch that show and not just be like, okay, we, we get it. Jeez, we got 
we're we're moving money around behind scenes. Oh no, what's going to happen next? All right, let's get mm-hmm. back to the let's get back to the prison, you know, and maybe see kind of how that's going. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to this. We paid Andy Circus like a lot of money, <laughs> so maybe get back to the prison for a bit. Wick. We are going to get back to that because I do want to talk about because I I want to talk about Andy Circus, but um, but yeah, I just I because because you're right. Like at the end of the day, he does this whole thing where he is going to he's going to allow her daughter to be kind of betrothed here, which I understand is a Chandrillin, um is a Chandrillin, um tradition. Sure. I understand that uh, that as as we see throughout the show, um, most of the traditions that her daughter is doing are older Chandrillin traditions anyways. Um, and her daughter seems halfway into those. So for all we know, she would have eventually wanted like a kind of betrothal kind of thing. And to and to do it like just be like, well, mom and dad had a arranged marriage, maybe I should too. That that is a heavy possibility. The problem is is that in a show that is all about uprooting oppressive states and setting forth new ideas for freedom, it is difficult for one of the primary characters to agree to an arranged marriage to effectively agree to an arranged marriage by the end of it. It almost seems like the like the it, it seems like simultaneously, and of course I am saying this with with not having any idea how it's going to play out in season two. Um, in fact, like I said, of that family, Mon Mothma is the only one I know is one hundred percent alive later. So who knows what happens to them? But everything about that scene could be to juxtapose everything that just happened on Ferrix. It is a possibility um, where we're kind of dealing with the, like, this is the fallout of our, of our actions, you know, because I mean, of course, uh, with that montage, you also have, you know, Luthen is just looking out at the chaos of Ferrix. Um, Mosk is literally sitting in an alley drinking him, like just drinking by himself. Yeah. Um, Cyril and Daedra are just staring at each other are, creepily and longingly for are, hours. On um, are about to kiss. <laughs> are, are they? Who knows? Are they? Who's to say? It's such a... <laughs> God, they're so weird. And I think that's why they work so well. Um, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> it is perfect. Um but no, okay. Last last character before we, I, I, I'm I'm approaching the the last two questions, and and obviously feel free to jump in here if there's anything else you wanted to say. I do want to talk about Andy Circus real quick. Okay, um, sure. So for those of you who do not know, um, if you have been under a rock from a fandom perspective over the last twenty five years, um, Andy who's Circus. Andy, who's Andy Circus, Jacob? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Andy Serkis is primarily known for, of course, playing Gollum in the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films. Um, he was also for uh, he was also another famous Star Wars character. Oh, um, he was Supreme Leader Snoke in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Somehow, Andy Serkis returned. 
There we go. There we go. Um, but yes, he was Snoke. He was um, also forever my 13 going on 30 fans out there. Um, I know there's got to be at least one. <laughs> I, I love that Andy Serkis played Amadeus Claw in two different MCU movies, and you go to 13 going on 30 before you go to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to get to that. <laughs> However... <laughs> The first time to talk about 13 going on 30. Exactly. We, well, I have to go in order here, Al. <laughs> but no, we go by relevance to the culture of zeitgeist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yes, he started that movie alongside Mark Ruffalo, and what he started another movie alongside Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> There's the connection. You, you were waiting. Uh, yes. uh, he was in, yes, he was in Avengers Age of Ultron and Black Panther as Claw. Um, he's just great, man. Like, I mean, and saying that he starred beside Mark Ruffalo in Age of Ultron is a very oh, generous way of saying that to both of those actors. Absolutely <laughs> starred. Uh, more like scene stole, if I if I'm being. Honest. Uh, but no, he he is legitimately just a fantastic actor. Um, I think this. I think this one did a really good job of showing how how good he could be as a uh, with a serious performance without motion capture, like without uh, it being like a CGI character. Nothing against obviously his uh, his performances as Snoke or uh, or Gollum, but with this being able to kind of see how he is able to emote and able to convey everything that is going on through with Kino Loy. Um, just in a, in a very visual, open sense, is really just impressive. Um, I mean, the moment. I think one of the I think one of the best, uh, one of the best like final moments of an episode. Um, is when is it, I mean it's, it's unfortunate because it's when Olaf dies. But the moment they're walking away, Cassian the entire time has been asking him how many guards are on each level, how many guards are on each level, and he will not answer him. And at that moment, he just has this look on his face of just, I don't care what is happening. I don't care what happens to me after this. We're doing something to stop this from ever happening again. And when Cassian asks him how many guards are on each level, he doesn't miss a beat. He just goes, no more than 12. And then the episode just ends. It's, it's, it's a really cool moment. Um, but just everything about his performance is just perfect in this. He just, he just absolutely nails it. Um, even, the, even the final time you see him, um, him saying, I can't swim. Is just this heartbreaking moment because you're like, oh my gosh! What? Also, because we don't know what happens to him. I'm, I am. We don't know what happens to most of them. (laughs) I mean, you don't, but he's the one you really kind of grown to love at this point, you know. And so it's, 
I don't know. I I I I'm I would love to see him show up in season two, just randomly, and just I I like Cassian's like pinned down at some point, and then like some guy comes out and is like holding a lightsaber in one hand and a blaster in the other, and you're like, what is happening? And somehow it's just Kino Loy, and he's just like, I'm I'm doing this, um, and, and that, that's that's what he says actually. It's just his, that's his catchphrase now. It's just I'm doing this. Um, yeah, he should. <laughs> He shoots 12 stormtroopers and he looks down at Cassie and is just like, ever more than 12. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would go broke. I would, I, I would have to stop the show. I'd be like, come on, guys. Like, I typically watch this with Josh, so I'd be like, I just need to pause it just real quick. I just need to, need to kind of take that in real quick. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. God, we're good at writing. <laughs> We we are we're geniuses. <laughs> oh man, what, was there any? I'm I'm sorry, Al. I feel like I've I've taken no. too much. Uh, was was there anything you wanted to add about Kino Loy or or any other uh, any of the other multitudes of, of characters that are in the show? Um, no, no, you're fine, man. Um, no, like um, yeah, when in, uh, the camera goes to Kino and he's just like, I can't swim. I think all of us would like shouted at the TV and we're just like, just jump. Just jump. <laughs> Turn it out. You can tread water. It's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kind of flail your arms and legs. Your body does it for you. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, no, man, he's great. Um, like there's so many excellent, um, characters in this. Um, um, one kind of twist that came up in that show that like I feel like isn't talked about hardly at all to the point that I kind of forgot about it when I was watching it for the second time and got kind of like I'm scared again <laughs> when it happened is that um, uh, Vel um, who's also a great character um, is just casually cousins with Mon Mappa. That yeah. Uh, yeah, that just kind of gets like randomly dropped, and then you just kind of hang out with that for um, a couple episodes. But um, that was a big thing that, like, again, I kind of forgot about, and then I was reminded when I uh, when I rewatched this. But um, um, yeah, no, like I feel like it's weird. I mean, like we haven't talked about. Idra very much. She's like incredible in this. She, it's so interesting because like you kind of almost find yourself starting to root for her just because like she starts her investigation and she's right, and you're just kind of like, yeah, you, oh that asshole, like you, <laughs> like yeah, I mean you go and get that evidence and create a case and figure out who. Oh wait, no. <laughs> No, this is bad. And then she has like a total turnaround where she begins. Um, she shows up on Hendrix and she like um, starts to torture Bix, which is horrific. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most horrific things I think has ever happened in Star Wars stuff. Um, uh, that was wild. Um yeah, this show does a really good job. Uh, we've talked about it some in the past, but um, where it has always been with Star Wars, you know, the Empire, the imagery of the Empire, the iconography of it, um, very much um, inspired by um, calls back to like 
um, imagery of like Germany um, seeing the ISB be kind of like the um, intelligence agency um, um, in that way, be kind of the Gestapo in that way. And um, that those kind of parallels are just even more like filled out here because we have um, whatever the doctor's name is, who's in charge of like that torture device, um, who's basically Joseph Angela from Nazi Germany, like yeah. Holocaust camps. Um, like that was a really interesting detail to throw in there as well. Just like adding more layers to show like how deep the corruption and, and the evil goes throughout the empire. But um, yeah, man, it's just like, I don't know. It's hard to talk about all the characters because all of them are just done so, so well. Um, like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I am. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that whole. That doctor was rough to take, man. Like that whole that whole sequence is, is, is hard to watch. Um, yeah, it was hard, it was hard it, the first and this one like if it's possible for the tone of that show to get darker than what it was. That was the turning point. That was like, that point. was yeah. <laughs> that was where you're just like, oh, Ooh, I'm not. I'm not happy anymore when I watch yeah. this show. Because <laughs> then, even like when Big, when Cassian gets there to save her, she just goes, "No, they'll, they'll get angry," and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like yeah. it's, yeah. Um, one thing I do want it's it is such a small, small detail, but it is something that I loved. Um. It, it, it was it was the only part of that sequence that I was like, oh, hey, that 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 part was kind of cool. Um, and it only and it only works if you if you watch New Hope as, as many times as I have, especially if it was on TV, um, because the scene where they first put the headphone torture device thing on her, um, she starts screaming, the door slams. And then the next thing you see are uh, the officer's, like, boots as he's walking away. And then it just pans over to him walking away. It is, once again, it is a small thing. But it is the exact same shot as whenever um, Darth Vader brings in the little torture orb thing to mm. Princess Leia in yeah. A New Hope. Like beat for beat, it's 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 one of those things where it's like there's no way it's a coincidence. They 100 were like, no, we're gonna we're gonna recreate that scene just yeah, yeah. you know with something arguably ten times worse. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's a just one little you know little little Star Wars tidbit. Just wanted to toss that in there for you. <laughs> um, just a little bit of trivia for everybody. A little bit of trivia for you. Um. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead, Al, uh, unless... Did you have anything else you wanted to add before we ask the final two questions? Um, I think I'm good, man. Let's yeah. go. Let's All go. right. So, I mean, we... If you are new to the segment, uh, we do have two final questions that we ask of every piece of EU or EU, EU, or EU review. And that is, one, what is a typist moment? Um, because... 
Star Wars, no matter what version it is, no matter what you're reading or watching, typically has some kind of hype moment to it. Um, this one had quite a few, so I, I'm I'm actually intrigued to see what your answer is, Al. Um, the other question we ask is, is this part of your grand canon? Um, once again, if you are new to this, we, Al and I, are trying to figure out our perfect Star Wars grand canon. So maybe there are some things that are non-canon old eu books or shows or movie or games that we want to keep in there maybe there's some that we're just like ah you can kind of leave this by the wayside courts of princess leia um but uh yeah i would like to go ahead and get this on the show on the road and ask you al what was your hypest moment from andor season one okay so i feel really bad i've been trying to find this um is um this actor so i could give him oh my god i just did scratch that okay cool nice. i was about to apologize but no i'm Wait. perfect uh, <laughs> yeah um um so in the final episode um where tensions are high to say the least um the um, the character Ilmon, the kid, or uh, hey, the kid, the t- teenager. Um, mm. I call t- teenagers kids now because I'm a hundred years old. Um, <laughs> but um, who um who lost his dad? His dad died. Mm. Um, and he's the one who like. Um, there's no other way to say it. He <laughs> he crafts a pipe bomb to bring yeah. to like a public event. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, you're you're not wrong. Um, when things are like escalating and like there's so much tension towards the end of that episode, and like you have like the Imperials out and like their right gear, and you have like um, the people out there and they're like all gathered together for. Arva and they're united with each other and there's just this escalation brewing and then like the fight breaks out and like it's just utter chaos um but every step of the sequence of that kid the actor um uh i'm not 100 on how to say his name i apologize ahead of time but um who haunted Pyre, I believe is his name. Okay. Um, which is wild because this is like one of the only things he's ever done. And he was excellent in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was great. Um, the sequence of that kid, like thinking about his dad who got killed and just assembling his advice i'm trying to to limit how much i say the b word because i don't know how that works on spotify (laughs) him assembling his device him joining the crowds at the funeral and then escalating to where he just like throws that sucker into a crowd of imperials um that scene that the concentration behind it the intention behind it because like it's a difficult scene because at the end of the day it's like still a kid 
who has been so traumatized by what has happened that he's he's doing a terrorist attack like that's essentially what the scene boils down to but the fact that we just like the fact that the sequence is shot in such a way that we are there with him through every step of that happening and then we're right there with him like as he makes that final choice to just like throw it into the Imperials and just like at whatever havoc happens happen um that was such a powerful part of that show and like it's weird to, to say that it's by hypus because it's not the hypus in like the way we usually use that word mm. like it isn't like anakin at like the top of the temple and in clone wars doing the skywalker hack against the sauce ventures but yeah. um but like it's it's hype and it's heavy and it's me engaged with it so much because that whole sequence with that character is so well done and so powerful and it just like i mean that explosion just like just sets off the rest of the episode it just opens the floodgates it like in a way it like um, a lot of the scenes in that show talk about how all Donnie was the beginning of the rebellion. Like, it's arguable that, like, that kid with his explosive device, that was, like, really the start of the rebellion. Like, that was really, like, the confrontation between basic people who had been oppressed and their oppressors. And, like, it's just, man, it's just so good. I love that sequence so much. Yeah, that's, that is a great one. Um, I had forgotten. <clears throat> so th- it played a trick on me because I had forgotten how uh, how good that moment was. And when when he's first making the device, um, sure. and, um, he has that picture of his dad pulled up. Looking at it from just the distance from whenever they first show it, I'm like, well, crap, why does he have a picture of Cassian up if... Uh, if like all the Imperials are around, like if anyone walks in, like he's screwed. But then like it cuts and it focuses on his face. And when it focused on his face, I had forgotten who the kid was. I'm a level with you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when it focused on, on the face of his father, I was like, that's the guy that they hung um, after they questioned him before they got Bix and like it all connected of just who, who, who he was and everything. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then like the subtle, like the, the, the wheels started turning my head because I had forgotten. I remember the last, I remembered the last episode was really cool. Like I I remember the, I remember I really enjoyed the last episode of the show. And that was the moment that I was like, okay, I'm really excited for season two. Um, I've forgotten how everything plays out, and I've forgotten that basically everyone is there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was it was good to rewatch that and good to kind of see how that did play out. Um, obviously, like you said, the trauma is there, and that is definitely rough, but it is also a... Like you said, it is a hype moment that works because of 
everything that is happening around it and why it why it had to happen and why it has to happen that way. Um, also, if people noticed, he's on the ship at the end, so I'm presumably he'll be in season two. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna carry on uh, with us. Um, so my hypest moment, <clears throat> I mentioned it earlier. My hypest moment has to be the Eye of Aldani. Mm. Um, watching so many Marvel movies and so many Star Wars films and so many watching so many of these different movies, you kind of start to get. This is going to be one of the more cynical things I've ever said about like genre films and fan and fandom films in this sense, but you kind of start to get numb to spectacles and mm-hmm. certain visuals. Um, explosions basically have no effect on me whatsoever when it comes to when it comes to films anymore. It's just like, <laughs> oh, that kind of happened. Sure. Um, every every once in a while, you know, something happens where it actually plays out well. But once you watch a single Transformers movie, you're just like, I, I think I'm I think I got it now. You're like, I, I you know, I don't have to worry anymore. Um, but <laughs> Explosions are like trees to me now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But to contrast that with the eye, which they keep talking about, and they're like, "Oh man, it's something. It's something to see. It's it. It is incredible." And so the entire time, I'm like, "I'm I'm kind of wondering how this is going to look," and everything about that sequence. From the first time the the Aldani uh, natives see it to the moment that they are flying through it, and then then the Tie Fighters are crashing and everything is oh, everything about it is just perfect. It is one of the it is one of the most interesting visuals in all of Star Wars. All, all of it, yeah, I said it. Mm-hmm. Every, everything, um, and it's just it's just. It's just absolutely incredible, and and it's it's one of those things that no matter how many explosions you've seen, no matter how many you know blasters you've seen going off, no matter how lightsabers you've seen, something about the visual, the, the way that they convey it, like this slow curtain of <clears throat> of meteors, just flying through the sky all at the same time almost like it's a like a like a like a flock of birds just that are all just flying together perfectly it's astonishing to behold even even just it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you're watching on i i was re-watching this and, and the, for some and the, i was watching on my phone at work and i was still like man this is just great you know <laughs> Well, watching on a big screen would, would do the do basically the exact same i mean it'd be even better obviously but like it doesn't matter where, how you're watching it. Just seeing that visual is just something incredible. Um, yeah, it's just it's great. Good. But yeah, so that is my hypest moment. Is the is the the escape from Aldani? Um, it's just, it's really well done. Also, the this the like twenty minute the last twenty minutes of that episode are all just. It's this really tense heist scene that's really interesting. Just every everything about it is great. Um, but yeah, um, Al, I mean, I, I feel like this is a pretty, 
feel like this one's the, probably the more one of the more basic ones we've ever had. But does this enter into your grand canon? Um, I'm gonna say yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna Thanks. say I'm gonna answer in the affirmative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. Um, Sorry, everybody. I don't have a lot of yeah, to say. Yeah, we don't, we don't have much nuance for the last one this time. Uh, <laughs> it's really good, and it adds to the canon. Like, I don't... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, season two... Season two. Um, has officially finished filming. Crazy. Uh, they finished wow. filming last week. Um, Diego Luna got... Which, by the way... Um, despite it being about Cassian, we've not talked about Diego Luna enough. Um, that man is incredible. Um, oh, he yeah. has he has two or three scenes in this. I, I'm I'm always impressed by actors that can do actors that can convey everything they're trying to get out of a scene just with their eyes. And he has two or three scenes where he does that perfectly in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything about the scene when he finds out Marva died is heartbreaking, but it works so well because of his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because like, like Melchi is—it's kind of sad, but like Melchi is just like we have to tell them what's going on here. We we have to split up so we have a better chance of surviving, you know. And and he's just kind of like, yeah, sure, wh- whatever. I just I'm, yeah. You know, like he doesn't say it like that, but it's but it's that's everything you're getting from him in in that scene, and it's it's just, he's great, man. Um, but uh, he did put on Instagram. He was talking about, uh, of course, you know, thanking all the cast and the crew and everything. Uh, so yes, Andor season two was officially done this month. Um, due to the constraints yeah. of the yeah, let's go. Uh, due to the constraints of the writer strike, they did have to stop filming. They were they only had like a month of shooting left, which is kind of annoying. Um, because they restarted back up in January and they finished it like last week. Uh, <laughs> so it is kind of <laughs> it's kind of annoying in that sense because it's like God, why why the writer strike have to happen? Um, well, because the empires in control. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're getting closer, everybody. Uh oh. Uh, um, the current rumor is that it might take until it might be 2025 before we see Andor season two. Um, sure. It is a it is a possibility, and you know I'm. Uh, as as although it does upset me, I am okay with understanding obviously why it had to happen. The writer strike was very important, uh, and and the, the writer and actor strike was very important. I'm yeah. glad that is uh, over. Current there, excuse me. I'm glad that that battle is over. Um, I know that there are probably many more on the way going forward, but I'm glad that as of right now, uh, everyone everyone got what they needed, and uh, yeah. But. Uh, yeah, so Andor season two, some hope, hopefully like end of this year, but more more than likely next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah. we could wait. We got we got other stuff coming out. You know, we yeah. apparently the acolyte is the is going to be the quiet. According to rumors, is going to be the quietest uh, launch they've ever had, um, because the rumor <laughs> that's going to come out in June apparently. So, yeah. which would be insane. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but. 
But Al, uh, closing thoughts on Andor? Any anything to add besides just go watch Andor? It's really good. Um, yeah, man. I mean, everybody go watch Andor. It's really good. Um, yeah, just uh, really well done. I'm really happy that this show exists. Uh, one because it's excellent, obviously, but also because it shows that, like you know, um, we don't have to be afraid in the type of story we tell uh, within Star Wars stuff. Like yeah. we, um, you know, I love like all of the Urasawa inspired stories that we've gotten over the years. Um, they're great. I love like the sci-fi fantasy f- weird fusion AB that Star Wars is. And like the adventure stories um, it tells, those are always a good time. Those are always great. Those have given rise to incredible stories and characters. But um, yeah, man, this shows that like you can do other stuff. You can get kind of weird with um, the stories you're telling within the universe. Um, um, and I think that's great. I mean, we covered Death Troopers last year. Um, I yeah. would be a hundred percent down for like some kind of horror show or film set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, because you know, as long as the setting is so wide and expansive, and there's so much potential for storytelling within it. That I'm just really glad Andor exists because it shows that, like, you know, you can tell a political drama, you can tell a a, a more kind of grounded um, story about war. You can tell those kinds of stories that aren't always what you expect from stuff like Star Wars. But um, as long as like um, the talent is there, and as long as the passion for the world is there, then you can do everything. So, um, yeah, I'm just really glad the show exists. Absolutely. I mean, Star Wars is the Star Wars is one of the greatest universes to to be able to ride in, and more people should be trying out crazier things, in my opinion. I, th- I think you're absolutely right on that. Um, yeah, because because the classics are always going to be there, and you can always go back to the classical style. I mean, ah- Ahsoka kind of towed the line of doing both of those things. So, and we saw and. I, I love Ahsoka, so I think that worked really well. Um, yeah. I just love Star Wars. Man, dude. What? Al, do you, Al, do you want to do more Star Wars next month? Dude, you do love Star Wars? I love Star I Wars. Who would have thought? I love Star Wars. Dude. dude. I would be over the moon to talk about some more Star Wars in March. That'd be amazing. Sweet. Okay. But what would we do? Well, you know, there is a small little kind of indie production game oh. <laughs> Next riddle month. me, riddle me this, you scandalous tramp. Tell me more. <laughs> so for the so for anyone who was unaware, um, there was a Nintendo Direct. Was it yesterday or the day before? It was on Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. So yes, there's a Nintendo Direct Wednesday that um, changed the entire schedule of March's EU or E review, um, which I ha- still own that book, so we'll have to read that sooner or later. Um, <laughs> Ooh, but, I wonder what he's talking about, everybody. I <laughs> wonder what that's going to be. Uh, but no, we uh, Star Wars Battlefront, the classic collection, is coming to apparently PS5 and Nintendo Switch, maybe Xbox, I'm assuming. I don't, I don't know a lot of people that have an Xbox, maybe. so I yeah. will figure that out later. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know. If you have an Xbox, check, check it out. So, you know, do, do your research. Do, do what you got to do. Um, but, but the PlayStation and Nintendo people, I can confirm it's coming. Um, with the weirdest price tag I've ever seen. But, you know, maybe that'll adjust the day of. Um, $35.01. <laughs> Before tax. That that's It's very odd. Uh, you tell us, Star Wars fans, is that an Easter egg? Is there like a, a 3501 thing I, I, in Star Wars? Um, but yeah, so we're going to be covering Battlefront next month. We're going to have a spe- our special guest on of the Wise Sage. Josh is going to be on as well. Um, talking about what the first two Battlefront games kind of mean to, not only just mean to us and really kind of our growing up with Star Wars, um, but also like, what's the campaign like? What are our favorite levels? A couple other things that we plan on talking about, uh, after we jump back into a galaxy far, far away, mm-hmm. we start with the Star Wars Battlefront complete collection. So be looking forward to that. Check it out. Uh, we'll be back next month. We've got a couple other things coming out next month as well that we are going to be working on. So be stay tuned for that. <laughs> and, um, as always, you know, check out the streams on Twitch. We, we've got some fun stuff going on there. Um, yeah. And, of course, as always, no matter what episode it is, no matter what we're talking about, we always want to end with this and remind you that fandom is for everyone. And we hope that you all have a wonderful, wonderful evening. You guys have a good night. <laughs>